seated. And please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 15. But then hold on to Romans and turn back to Acts 14. I want to introduce the passage in Romans by looking at Acts 14. We start at verse 1. Speaking of Paul's first missionary journey, uh, he has gone with Barnabas uh, to a region that we call Asia Minor. In chapter 13, uh, he went to uh, Antioch and Pisidia. And then in chapter 14, verse 1, we read, Now at Iconium, they, that is Paul and Barnabas, entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Verse 8. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. That, that gives us a small segment of Paul's apostolic ministry, a ministry that he continued uh, throughout Asia Minor, and the 
uh, and in Greece, as is recorded for us in the book of Acts. We saw here that, that Paul would take the gospel to a Jewish synagogue after he would enter a new city, and there he would preach Christ, and when there was opposition that would arise against him, uh, that would cast him out of the synagogue. While some Jews had believed, um, the, the majority would end up rejecting the Apostle Paul. Paul would leave that synagogue, and he would go to the Gentiles in that city. And he would proclaim the gospel of Christ. In so doing, he was establishing a church in that city, composed of Jewish believers and Gentile believers. We saw that he performed signs and wonders that authenticated the message that he spoke from the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw that though he would be persecuted and he'd been cast out of the city, he would come back in order to establish elders, appoint elders in the church to encourage them to remain faithful to the Lord. So he would not just leave them, but he continued to care for the churches that he planted. As I said, he did this throughout Asia Minor, he did this throughout Greece, all recorded for us in, at least a summary of it, in the book of Acts. Now, in our text, Paul speaks to the Romans about this apostolic ministry that the Lord gave to him. And I'm honest to turn there now, Romans chapter 15. I'm going to read to us our text, which is verses 17 through 21. Uh, So please stand in honor of the word of God if you are able. Romans 15, verse 17. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is God's holy word. Please be seated. This passage uh, is part of the book of Romans. We started at the beginning of Romans quite some time ago. We've been studying through the book and uh, I want to remind you that the book of Romans is a doctrinal treatise wrapped up in a personal letter. Last time we went back to the to Romans chapter 1 uh, we saw the first verses there where Paul begins uh, writing this letter to the church. It's very personal. Uh, but then he goes into doctrine, and it becomes really a doctrinal treatise. But then at the end, he goes back into the style of writing a personal letter to this church. Uh, we are now, we've completed the doctrinal treatise, which was about the gospel of God. Uh, we've, we've studied uh, uh Fuller doctrine than is given in any one, one, any other place in Scripture on the doctrine of salvation, as Paul has taught about our sin and our need for salvation. Uh, he has taught on justification uh, by grace uh, through faith in Christ. 
He has taught about sanctification, glorification. He has taught us much about salvation. As I said, now he has, he's concluding the letter and he has gone back to speaking in a very personal way to the believers in the church at Rome. In this last section of the book, uh, he gives his reason for writing this epistle. I want us to look back at that, verses 14 through 16. Verse 14, he said, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So he didn't write to to these believers in Rome because they didn't know the things that he was teaching here in this letter. Uh, But he's reminding them of these things that they have already learned. And he speaks about his ministry as an apostle of Jesus Christ, a ministry that focused on the Gentiles. And certainly... Rome was viewed as a Gentile city. It had Jewish believers in it, but it was primarily a Gentile. So, Paul has spoken about his reason for writing this epistle. Uh, in the passage that we are going to look at tonight, he begins talking about his ministry ambitions. He's going to speak of how he intends to go to Spain with the gospel. Uh, then he's going to give personal greetings in chapter 16 and a closing doxology. Uh, Let's uh, take a close look um, at this passage. Uh, We see, first of all, in verses 17 through 19a, the substance of Paul's apostolic ministry. Look at verse 17. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. The Greek behind this is a little challenging to translate. The Legacy Standard Bible Translates it this way. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. In the previous verses, uh, Paul uh, speaks of the grace that God gave him to be a minister of Christ to the Gentiles. In the following verse, Paul will say that he will only speak of what Christ has accomplished through him. And here in verse 17, Paul is saying that in Christ, he has reason to boast of what has been done through him as an apostle. We are not to boast in man, which means, certainly includes that we are not to boast in ourselves, but we are to boast in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what Paul is doing here in verse 17, is he is boasting in Jesus Christ. And as he will say in verse 18, he speaks of what Christ has accomplished through, through the apostle Paul. Paul takes no credit uh, for his ministry and the fruit of his ministry. Uh, His boast is in the Lord. In verse 18, Paul goes on, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. Now, notice that Paul does not say what I have accomplished through Christ. That might be the way that, that we would speak. Uh, we speak of what we have accomplished through Christ. No, Paul doesn't speak in that way. He speaks here of what Christ has accomplished through the Apostle Paul. 
Paul sees himself simply as the instrument through whom a Christ has been accomplishing his great work. It goes, that work goes all the way back to what Jesus foretold in Matthew 16 when he said, I will build my church. And the Lord Jesus, in the book of Acts, was building his church through his apostles, including the apostle Paul. It is the work of Christ. Paul takes no credit for it. He's the instrument through whom Christ is accomplishing his work. Now, Paul mentions uh, bringing the Gentiles to obedience. Uh, In the the last passage, uh, he spoke of how Christ uniquely sent him to the Gentiles. And uh, now here in verse 18, he talks about what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. Now, that those words are similar to what Paul said in chapter 1, verse 5, which I'll read to you. Paul said, Through Jesus Christ our Lord, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the Gentiles. We've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of Christ's name among all the, the nations. And a long time ago when we studied this, uh, we, we looked into this phrase, the obedience of faith. Uh, the obedience of faith is also mentioned in chapter 16. I want you to look, go forward to chapter 16, verse 25. So Paul begins the book talking about the obedience of faith. He ends the book talking about the obedience of faith. 16.25 Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only one is God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Again, He talks about bringing about the obedience of faith. What is the obedience of faith? It's obedience to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, which obedience originates from faith in Christ. Saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ will be evidenced by a growing obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you are believing in Him as Savior and you are believing in Him as Lord. There is a submission of one's life in conversion to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And Paul saw his apostolic ministry in terms of Christ working through him to bring the Gentiles to the obedience of faith. Bringing the Gentiles to Jesus Christ in saving faith of faith that then produces obedience to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. This Paul speaks of as the very purpose of his apostolic ministry. The Gentiles would, by God's saving work in them, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and leaving their former way of life, become obedient to Christ. And as Paul put it in chapter 1, verse 5, this is for the sake of Christ's name. So it's for the glory of Christ. So Paul carries out his apostolic ministry 
or to be more specific, Christ is working through the Apostle Paul, bringing in, in Paul's ministry, a ministry focused on the Gentiles. Paul would go to the Jews, but he was the the apostle that was uniquely called to the Gentiles, and he was going out to the Gentile lands further and further into those lands with the gospel. And it was a ministry, it's a ministry that we also as disciples of Jesus Christ have, of sharing the gospel and calling sinners unto the Lord Jesus Christ to believe upon him be saved, and in salvation, the Holy Spirit so changes the heart and begins to work in the life that the fruit is in obedience to Jesus Christ and all of this to the glory of Christ. So Paul saw his apostolic ministry as worship, as service to God, as he spoke about in the last passage. So here in our text, if we take a look again at the wording, Romans 15, verse 18, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. And then he continues to speak of what Christ has accomplished through him. He says, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. Paul is saying that what Christ accomplished through Paul was accomplished by means of word and deed. As Paul preached and taught the word of Christ, as Paul planted and nurtured churches by word and deed. Paul's message was authenticated, he says, by powerful signs and wonders. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 says, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. And we read of one of those signs and wonders that the apostle Paul performed uh, when he made that man who was lame uh, to to walk. Uh, The apostle Paul performed the same sorts of signs and wonders that the Lord Jesus Christ performed. And as Christ's official representative, as Christ's apostle, So he performed signs and wonders by the power of the Holy Spirit that authenticated the message that Jesus proclaimed, that that Paul proclaimed from the Lord Jesus. The word of Christ was made effective in hearts and lives, Paul says, by the power of the Spirit of God. Paul, again and again in his epistles, he teaches that the Holy Spirit works to make the gospel effectual in the hearts and lives of the elect. You could hear the gospel a million times, uh, but it would not take root within your heart. It wouldn't change your life. You wouldn't believe it apart from the work of the Holy Spirit through that gospel message in your heart and, and life giving you understanding and uh, giving you uh, the grace to believe, the grace to repent. The Holy Spirit makes the gospel effectual in the heart. So Paul speaks here of what Christ has accomplished through me by word and deed, 
by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. That is the, the substance of his apostolic ministry. He goes on and speaks of the extent of his apostolic ministry. Look at verse 19. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. He speaks of this as the result of Christ's work through him. Now I put a question in the bulletin that asks, what does Paul mean here in verse 19? That from Jerusalem to Illyricum, he has fulfilled the ministry of the gospel. Andre. So bringing people uh, to God, reconciling people to God. That's the fulfillment of the gospel. Alright, so the gospel, the gospel is fulfilled um, as it is proclaimed, and people are, are saved. Ross. Preaching to the Gentiles. Illyricum was definitely a Gentile area. And there's a lot of Gentile territory between. Jerusalem and Illyricum. Francis. Yeah. Suffering was part of that. The Lord Jesus foretold that when he called him to serve him as, as an, an apostle. That that suffering also was was part of that fulfillment of his ministry. That was the cost that Christ had ordained that that he would, would suffer for 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 the gospel. Andre. The apostolic ministry was not just <coughs> preach the gospel, but it was to plant churches with those who believed that, that message. Anything else we can add to that? What this means. From Jerusalem to Illyrica, he has fulfilled this gospel ministry. Let's look more closely at this uh, together. Uh, Paul uh, preached the gospel for a brief time to Jews in Jerusalem and Judea, uh, which were in the eastern half of the Roman Empire. You can read in Acts 9, verses 26 through 30, of Paul preaching the gospel in Jerusalem. Uh, you can read in Acts 26, verse 20, as he is speaking to um, the, the king before whom he stands trial, um, speaking of that ministry that he had at the very beginning there in Jerusalem, and he speaks about also preaching the gospel uh, throughout Judea. 
So Paul had preached the gospel as an apostle of Christ in Jerusalem and the surrounding area for a brief time. In his apostolic ministry, he moved further and further west with the gospel, making it all the way to Illyricum. Now, Illyricum is not mentioned in the book of Acts. Acts does not record Paul going to Illyricum. Illyricum was northwest of Macedonia. Acts does tell us of Paul spending some significant time in Macedonia. What are some cities that Acts tell, tells us that he went to in Macedonia? With the gospel. What cities in Macedonia? Yes, Anthony. Thessalonica. And before Thessalonica, Berea was after Thessalonica and before Thessalonica. Philippi, yes. Those three were all in Macedonia. Illyricum was northwest of Macedonia. Um, it was located in what we know as northern Albania and part of former Yugoslavia. So Paul tells us here that he went with the gospel all the way to Illyricum, which tells us that Acts doesn't tell us everything as far as Paul's missionary travels go. It would make sense that uh, uh, during one of those times in Macedonia that Acts records that he went to Illyricum at that time, but we just don't know. But we do know from this passage that he went to Illyricum, maybe to the border of Illyricum, maybe into Illyricum. It was a region uh, with the gospel. So from Jerusalem all the way to the, the westernmost part that he had gone, Illyricum, he says that he has uh, fulfilled his Ministry. This is a large area in which Paul ministered along the northern Mediterranean. Um, it would include Syria, that's where Antioch was, uh, where the Holy Spirit uh, indicated that he was to be set apart uh, for the first missionary journey. He was ministering in Syria, in Antioch, and the surrounding area. His ministry went along the northern Mediterranean to Asia Minor, then to Greece. So he's moving west along the Mediterranean. Now, Paul had fulfilled in these regions the apostolic ministry that Christ gave him to preach the gospel and plant churches in the largest cities. He certainly did not preach the gospel in all of the cities in these regions. But what we see in the book of Acts was he preached the gospel in the largest cities in these regions, and planted churches in those cities. Now, Paul understood that there was much gospel work still to be done by the churches in these regions. When he says, in our, in here in verse 19, um, that um, from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, he's certainly not saying that the gospel ministry is complete in these regions. I'm not saying the gospel has gone to every town. No, there's much gospel ministry that is still to be done in these regions by the churches that Paul has established. But he has fulfilled the specific ministry that Christ gave him as an apostle by planting churches in these the largest cities in these areas. Paul understood his apostolic ministry to be that of a pioneer missionary. A missionary who goes to areas where the gospel has not yet taken root. 
Because he had fulfilled his ministry of the gospel in the regions he mentioned, it was time for him to make plans to take the gospel further west. Look at verse 20, where we see the ambition of Paul's apostolic ministry. Verse 20. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Ambition is to preach not in a place where Christ has already been named. That means a place where Christ is named by people as Lord and Savior. A place where there are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his ambition to preach the gospel in places where there are not currently believers. This phrase um, of, of Christ being named is also found in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, which says, But God's firm foundation stands bearing the seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. A Christian is someone who names the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul's ambition was to go where Christ was not named. He says, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Now, there's nothing wrong with building on someone else's foundation. It is necessary to, for, for others to build on uh, the, the foundation that has been laid. Uh, Apollos did that in Corinth. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We were talking last Sunday about uh, Paul and Apollos because uh, some in the church were saying, I am of Paul. Others were saying of they were of Apollos. We talked about how Paul came first to Corinth with the gospel. He was there for over 18 months. He departed and then Apollos was sent. And he continued uh, the work of the ministry there in the church at Corinth. Let's see what Paul says about Apollos building on the foundation that Paul laid. 1 Corinthians 3, beginning at verse 5. Verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollos' water. That is, Paul planted the seeds of the gospel. As he was preaching the gospel in a city that had never heard the gospel before. Paul planted the gospel. Apollos watered. So Apollos came after some had believed, um, and through the ministry of the word, he helped those who had believed to grow in Christ. I planted, Apollos watered, Apollos continued the ministry that Paul had been doing there, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. So Paul changes the metaphor in verse 10, and he likens the, church, the local church in Corinth to a building. Paul says that he laid the foundation. He says, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. As he planted the church. And someone else, that would include Apollos, is building upon that. That's in God Christ's design. That's good. 
But look at, come back to our text and see what Paul understands about his specific ministry. Paul says in Romans 15, verse 20, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Paul knew his apostolic commission from the Lord Jesus Christ, as a general rule, did not include building on the foundation that others laid. His apostolic ministry was the focus on laying the foundation being the first person in a region with the gospel, starting churches, and then others would come and they would build on the foundation that Paul laid. Now Paul's mission was to preach the gospel where Christ was not already named, and he sees this, uh, this, this ambition that he has uh, to be in line with what God revealed in the Old Testament of his purpose. Look at verse 21. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. He's substantiating his ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has been named, to not build on someone else's foundation, but instead to be laying the foundation he sees this in accordance with what God revealed in the Old Testament of his purpose in this verse that he quotes from Isaiah 52. Those who have never been told of him will see. Those who have never heard will understand. Let's go back to Isaiah 52 to see this in context. When we see it in context, we understand why Paul quotes from this passage. What's coming in Isaiah 53? One. The, the, the suffering Messiah. The prophecy of the suffering servant we know is the Messiah. And what are some of the things Isaiah 53 says that the suffering servant will do? What the Lord's servant will do? Debbie. Be wounded for our transgressions. Be chastised for our iniquities. He will bear our sin. He will suffer the penalty for our sin. The suffering servant. Now the section begins with Isaiah 52 verse 13. Uh, that really would probably be a better place to start Isaiah 53. It would be at 52.13. It's all one servant song. And in the middle of this song, we have chapter 52, verse 15, that Paul quotes in our passage. I want to begin reading at verse 13 to get the context. Behold, my servant. Well, let's be clear. Who, who is the Lord's servant here? I've already said it, but Mom? Christ, behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. 
For that which has not been told them, they see. For that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And he goes on and speaks of the suffering of the servant for our sin. Now, in verse 15a, the prophecy says, So shall he, it's Christ, sprinkle many nations. Prophesying that Christ will cleanse many nations. Cleanse them from what? From sin. So shall he sprinkle many nations. So shall he cleanse many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. Now, notice that verse 15 speaks of many nations. It's not just Jews who are going to be cleansed. Gentiles as well. Many nations will be cleansed. Kings, that would be kings from these Gentile nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. Speaking poetically of kings will submit to this one. Kings will submit to Christ. For that which has not been told them, them is Gentiles, the nations that will be sprinkled, including their kings. For that which has not been told them, they see. That which they have not heard, they understand. Teaching that these nations will not at first be told of Christ and his work, but later they will understand the things of Christ. Goes on in 53.1, Who has believed what he has heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Many would reject this message, but others would believe. Including, according to verse 15, many nations, Gentile nations, who at first will not hear, but later they will understand. Now, I want you to go back to Romans 15. I want you to observe how Paul uses this passage. Go back to Romans 15. That prophecy was given 700 years before Jesus was crucified. Romans 15, verse 20 again. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see. And those who have never heard will understand. He sees his apostolic ministry as he's going with the gospel to Gentile places where Christ has not been named. He's going to places that have never heard of Christ. Proclaiming the gospel there he sees this as a fulfillment of Isaiah 52, verse 15. But this is in line with the purpose of God that was revealed there in Isaiah 52. Now this is why Paul wants to go to Spain. If you go down in Romans 15 to verse 24, 
He says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. You know, if, if Paul continues west along the Mediterranean, he comes to Rome. Well, the gospel's already in Rome, so he has to go beyond Rome. What's next after Rome? There is France, but the next area that Paul has in mind is Spain. Spain will be beyond Rome. As he continues along that Mediterranean, he knows, as far as he knows, the gospel has not been to Spain. The Lord Jesus Christ is not named there in Spain. So he makes his, his ambition to go there next. He's writing to, to the church in Rome that they might help him and support him in going to Spain with the gospel, continuing his apostolic ministry given to him by the Lord Jesus Christ. Of going, not where Christ has already been named, but he built in someone else's foundation. Where he goes fulfilling Isaiah 52, verse 15. Now the question, how does this passage that we have studied tonight, think of the passage as a whole, how does this passage that we have studied tonight bear on missions today and reaching unreached people groups? How does what we've studied today bear on missions today and reaching unreached people groups? Caleb. So, you see something similar in, in the book of Revelation, um, that God has purpose to save people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Oh, it's yeah, Francis. God, God has purpose uh, to save people in every tongue of every tongue, tribe, and nation. It, this ministry will be fulfilled. What else can you add to that? Mom. So today there are still people groups that are unreached um, that Christians need to go to with, with the gospel. 
Go ahead. We shouldn't write off any particular people. Yeah. Um, the Apostle Paul is going into the unknown, mm-hmm. <laughs> even more so than, than we go into the unknown even now yeah. with all the information that we have. But he was he was uh, compelled by uh, the gospel to go and to preach to those that he did not did not know, but mm-hmm. that he knew needed to hear the gospel. Yeah. No people group is to be written off. No matter how difficult it may be uh, to to bring the gospel to them. Yeah, thanks. Can I also show that there's two types of things the law mentions? Yeah. One is church planting and then the other is discipleship. So kind of is somewhat of a model of how missions should be kind of work. Yes. So you see those two aspects. So today people need to do what the Apostle Paul is doing in going to the unreached places with, with the gospel, planting churches, and that needs to be followed by discipleship. Um, at, as uh, Paul understood what was to happen wherever he went, um, like Apollos needed to come there and water and continue to build on that foundation. This is, this is the design. Um, in, in missions. A reaching unreached people groups is an essential part of the Great Commission. Think about the Great Commission that Christ has given to us to go and make disciples of all the nations. It's a commission for the church. No individual can carry out the commission by themselves. It's for the church. An essential part of the Great Commission is reaching unreached people groups, like the Apostle Paul did. We, as the Church Universal, are not to be content. Well, the gospel has gone to many people groups. Let, let's just seek to, you know, reach more people in these groups that already have the gospel. No, we're not to be content with the gospel being in many people groups. As the Church Universal, we are to be committed to sending forth the gospel to the remaining unreached people groups until Jesus comes again. Reaching unreached people groups entails preaching the gospel. Paul speaks of that in verse 19. In verse 19, he talked about fulfilling the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Reaching unreached people groups is not essentially doing humanitarian giving humanitarian aid to these groups, though that is that shows the love of Christ and can be good to do, but that's not the essence of reaching unreached people groups. The essence of it is preaching the gospel, people being brought to obedience to Christ, as Paul speaks of in verse 18, to bring the Gentiles to obedience, um, and the planting of churches. We, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, who live here in New Jersey, we need to be concerned about unreached people groups. We need to pray 
before the Lord to send out laborers with the gospel to unreached people groups. We need to be praying for the salvation of unreached people groups. We need to be concerned about unreached people groups. According to Joshua Project, 42% of the world's nearly 8 billion people live in unreached people groups. Joshua Project defines an unreached people group as a people group among which there is no indigenous community of believing Christians with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize this people group without outside assistance. Typically, a people group will have you know, their own language. And there, there will be ethnic differences, oftentimes language differences, between them and the other people groups uh, around them. Wycliffe Global Alliance gives statistics on the translation of the Bible into the world's languages. And they say the full Bible has been translated into the primary languages of 75% of the world's population. What does that mean? That means that the full Bible has not been translated into the primary languages of 25% of the world's population, which is 2 billion people. Part of reaching unreached people groups with the gospel is translating the Bible into their language. It's not enough for them to hear missionaries proclaim and teach the gospel. They need to have the scriptures in their own language. So there is much work to be done in reaching the unreached people groups of this world with the gospel. Jesus in Matthew 9, verses 37-38, said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. God involves us in this work of global evangelization. This, this work of worldwide missions. And part of the way that he involves us in it is through prayer. And he actually, the Lord Jesus actually instructs us to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into his harvest. We are to pray for that. And certainly, we are to pray for those who are laboring in the Lord's harvest around the world. The Apostle Paul, as he was carrying out this gospel ministry in his epistles, he often would ask the churches to pray for his gospel ministry. We are to be in prayer for these things. Well, do you have any questions or comments about anything that we have seen tonight? Andre. I have a comment. When we were looking at verse 18, and um, when uh, if I would not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished in me, bring the Gentiles to obedience. And um, I was pondering Yeah. Just going in, 
if that's the thing with the gospel and leaving right. without any accountability left to it. Right. If the fact of the matter is that the goal is that something is established here where people will continue to kind of um, feed on God's word one from another. Yes. yes. Others? Francis? Yes. I think that's in Romans chapter 10. Alright. So if you look at Isaiah 52, in chapter verse 6, Therefore my people shall know my name, therefore in that day they shall know that it is I who speak here am I. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And that good news is going to be elaborated upon in chapter 53. <laughs> uh, what good news that is. And, and yes, um, Paul applies that to us as, as believers. Let's take a look at that. Romans chapter 10. Let's see which... Which verse in Romans? I think it's verse 15. Yes, so why don't we back up to Romans 10, verse 14. Verse 14. How then will they call on him? Because he just said in verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 14, how then will they call on, in, on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So, as Christians, we're, we are called to, to share the good news. So Isaiah 52, verse 7 certainly applies to us. Um, and and God calls, will use Jewish people in the, in the future to proclaim the, the good news. As the great number of them will be converted unto the Lord Jesus Christ and become Witnesses of the, of the Messiah. Um, anyone um, who knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, um, this, this verse applies to. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The good news of Jesus Christ. Good. Very good. Anything else? Questions? Comments? Alright. Uh, there's nothing more then. Let's go ahead and and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gospel of your grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have sinned against you both by doing what you have prohibited and not doing what you have commanded. But you have sent your Son, the Lord Jesus, for us, who died upon the cross for our sins, was raised for our justification. When we turn from sin and believe in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. We are saved from the wrath that is to come. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We are given your Spirit. And we are set apart from the world to serve you.
We thank you for the privilege of serving you as those who who have been saved by your grace. Uh, Serving you in various ways, including taking the gospel to unbelievers and then discipling those who believe. Lord, we pray that you would enable us to be faithful in the, the gospel ministry. We also pray, Father, that you would send out laborers to go to those places where Christ is not currently named, to go to those places where a foundation has not been laid, nations that may be dangerous to go to, nations that may appear to be very closed. Lord, send forth laborers to all the remaining people groups. Lord, that your elect would hear the gospel of Christ and would be saved unto or would be brought to obedience to Lord Jesus Christ for the sake of the name of the Lord Jesus and for your glory, O Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.